Thank you, choir, for such a great song. Do you think that if we sing God is Summer enough times, it will actually come sooner? That's our hope and our prayer. Forget the autumn and winter verse of that song. Just just keep singing the summer one. Thank you, Kent. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you. My name is Thomas Fitzpatrick, lead pastor here at West Bowles. We are honored by your presence. So glad you're joining us uh, this morning, maybe for the first time ever or first time uh, in a long time. Regardless of what your story is, we're glad that you're here and a part of our story uh, today. We're currently in a series, funny enough, called The Story. Uh, It's a series where we as a church are walking through the entire biblical narrative. We're taking excerpts from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and we're trying to see how God's story, what we're going to call the upper story, that it would actually make sense and gives meaning to our story, the lower story. It's so easy, isn't it, to be overwhelmed and inundated by lower story stuff? I'm not exactly sure what it means or how it's going to work out, and that's why the upper story makes so much sense and helps us to make so much sense of what's maybe going on in your story. So glad that you're with us uh, in a part of that. We're in chapter 7. Last week, uh, for you losers who stayed at home and stayed in your pajamas uh, all morning, I mean, did I say that out loud? Um, All thousand churches in the Denver area that closed down except for West Bowles. We... um, we actually, we took a break from our story, and it's kind of ironic, because see, in chapter 6, they're stuck. The people are stuck in the desert, and they had to stay there for an extended period of time. And so we waited for you. We did not enter the promised land without you. And I expect large sums of money and gift cards on my desk tomorrow as a result. All right, now just, just a thank you or a pat on the back will do. If you are joining us for the first time, though, we'd love for you to go into the uh, Welcome Center and grab your copy of the story. We believe in the power of God's word. We think that this story will really help you in your own story. And if you are joining us, don't, don't feel too bad. I can catch you up pretty quick. Here's what we've covered thus far in the first six chapters of the story. I think it goes like this. Creation, crisis, commitment, captivity, commandments, and cowardice. Now we're all on the same page. But that's where we've been thus far. And I'm so excited to move forward in the story because now we get to talk about things like conquerors, counselors, and a word I never even heard of before, clairvoyant. Just a cool C word uh, that I had to throw in the mix. But a lot of great things are coming up in our story. And this morning, excuse me, is the start of a lot of exciting things. Let me pray for that and we'll dive right into it. God, thank you for an incredible morning. Thank you for a new day and a beautiful day. Thank you for friends and family and new faces in this church. Thank you most of all for what you are doing, that you are alive and well, that you are still working out the promises you made thousands and thousands of years ago, that you are still pouring your spirit into this world to make it what you originally intended it to be. Would you partner us now up with you? Would you fill us with your spirit so that we might help your story to come to its fruition and its fullness? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pep talks. I want to start off this morning by talking to you about pep talks. They can come in all sort of shapes and sizes, can't they? From a coach talking about his team's destiny to a team captain screaming out, we must protect this house, to an employer encouraging you to keep at it, to a life coach who lives in a van down by the river. Maybe you remember that SNL skit from back in the day, but there are a lot of ways to inspire and motivate. I recently read a quote from General George S. Patton before the troops stormed the beach at Normandy in World War II. Here's how he motivated those men on that day. I don't want to get any message saying I'm holding my position. Gentlemen, we are not 
holding. We are advancing constantly. We're not interested in holding on to anything. Our plan of operation is to advance and to keep on advancing, regardless of whether we have to go over, under, or through our enemy. Ooh-ha! Right? Kind of just like, yeah! Gets you all amped up. Well, I think that the opening lines of chapter 7, in fact, the entire narrative of chapter 7, which covers the book of Joshua, is supposed to look and feel and read a lot like a pregame pep talk, a lot like a pre-war, pre-battle inspirational speech. And boy, did God's people need one. If you remember to the last couple of weeks, the last few chapters in our story, the nation of Israel, this group of people that God has specifically called out of the world to go back in to bless and fix the world, they've fallen on some hard times. Let's just say they've had a few losing seasons in a row. Because of their disobedience, distrust, and dissatisfaction with God, they went from 400 years of captivity in Egypt to 400 years of just wandering around the desert. It's been a rough 500 years for these guys. And instead of walking into God's promises, they walked around a seemingly God-forsaken land. But now... As we enter into chapter 7, everything is about to change. What I'm hoping happens for the Denver Nuggets happens for the nation of Israel. They go from worst to first overnight. It happens just like that. See, they have been in a place for 40 years. They've been talking and discussing and dreaming about another place for over 400 years, and now they're about to enter into that place. They're moving from a place of pain, persecution, and purposelessness into a place of God's promises. They're moving from a place they've only known and talked about and dreamt about their entire existence into the place promised for them. But moving into that land, it won't come easy. In in order to move from this end of the spectrum over to this end, they're gonna have to do some incredibly difficult, some incredibly demanding things. The first is they gotta cross the Jordan River. Now, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but imagine crossing this river without a boat or a bridge or a rope or any sort of tools. And imagine doing it, oh, did I mention, with the city of Houston with two million people. A little bit more of a difficult task now, isn't it? That's the first thing they were going to have to do in order to move from a place place of pain to a place of promise. The second difficult thing is they're going to have to circumcise all of their males. I won't go into detail, but let's just say they needed to perform a major major medical uh, situation or or, uh, surgery on a very sensitive area using nothing more than a sharp rock on all the men. Second difficult thing. The third difficult thing is they're going to have to conquer the fortified city of Jericho. And this city has walls and men that are the definition of thick. See the need for a little pregame pep talk? See the need for a little inspirational pre-battle speech? Well, boy, does God deliver. Let me read to you God's motivational pep talk in Joshua 1, page 89 of the story, if you're reading along. It goes like this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Moses, my servant is dead. He is, he's gone now. You and all of these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised to Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. 
No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Be careful to obey all the law that my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn to it from the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written within it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Hoorah! Yeah, George Patton had a speech. That's a speech. That's a motivational pregame pep talk if I've ever heard one. Now, the best part of speeches like this is, for one, they bring a little tear to your eye, don't they? Whether it's like Cool Runnings or Braveheart or Hoosiers, it's like, oh, coach, man, thanks. But the second thing about speeches like this is they work. They typically work, don't they? You see, God's people not only accomplish the three things that I talked about before, but they go on to defeat five kings in the south, 14 kings in the north, and in Joshua 11:33, we read that the entire land was theirs. This is one of the most successful chapters for God's people in the entire scripture. This is a far cry from, or from, from pain in Egypt or purposelessness in the desert. This is the fullness of God's promise. This is the culmination of 600 years in the making. And I love this story so much. I love this chapter so much for so many different reasons. But one of the main reasons is this story, this is our story. This is our story. This is your story. Let me, let me show you how that is. I think that the church today, kind of the American church, or maybe you would call it the universal church, it's in need of a little pep talk today. It stands in the same position that the Israelites stood in here in chapter 7. Maybe it's books or cultural shifts. Maybe it's negative statistics. Maybe just the evening news. But there are a lot of people out there, aren't there, saying that what we're doing here this morning doesn't matter. And that it's foolish and it's stupid to do it. The church is out of tune, out of luck, out of touch. And in a moment like this, I think the church needs a little pregame pep talk. It needs the coach to come in and say, not, not only do I want you to get up, I want you to move forward in victory, church. I think the church needs a little pregame pep talk. But more than that, maybe, maybe West Bowles needs a little pregame pep talk. We're still in the middle of strengthening a church that fell on some hard times for many years. And we're just getting back now to a place where we hoped to be. Plus, we're trying to do all that in a community that's having a hard time making sense of life and death and marriage and love and sacrifice and money. They're having a tough time with life. And then a few months ago, I cast a 2020 vision. What we want to see this church be in 20, 20 years, in five years, it's going to ask for sacrifice. It's going to ask for relational sacrifice, monetary sacrifice. It's going to ask for spiritual sacrifice. Maybe right now we need a pep talk. Come on, West Bowles. Come on. But let's... Bring it a little closer to home. Maybe you just need a pep talk right now. Chances are you're facing something right now. You're standing behind something right now. You are facing some sort of obstacle. You're on the brink of something. Maybe you're coming out of something, a place of brokenness and, and emptiness, a place of frustration. Maybe you're overwhelmed by what lies ahead of you. Maybe you're scared you don't have what it takes to move into the future. And right in front of you, just beyond that wall, is your destiny. 
It's all the promises that God has for you. It's your opportunity to move from a place of pain and persecution and purposelessness to move to a place of promise. This is your story. This is my story. But to see any any of those things become a reality, for us to move from here to here, we're gonna need a good pep talk. But more than that, we're gonna need some marching orders. We're gonna need some strategy. We're gonna need some, uh, some goals, a battle plan some guidance and some direction. And if you read chapter seven the last couple of weeks, you know that it's full of just that. You've heard of GMC's keys to victory on Monday Night Football. Well, tonight, or today, I guess we should say, we're gonna do a G-O-D's keys to victory in the faith. I thought that was really funny, but I guess nobody else did. Okay, let's go through four keys to victory that you and I as a church, but also you and I as individuals need to understand and grasp if we wanna move forward to a place of promise and a place of victory. The first is this. We need to understand that a new generation can lead us into a new place. Here at the beginning of this chapter, God's people are at a place called Kadesh Barnea. The place is called Kadesh Barnea. What's crazy is that 40 years earlier, they were standing on this exact spot. They were standing in this exact dirt. 40 years earlier, they had this same opportunity. 40 years earlier, they played this exact same game, and it was a blowout, and not in favor of God's team. The home team didn't win. 40 years earlier, the older generation said, we're scared, let's go back. And now God has raised up a new generation that says, we're not, let's go in. See, the older generation wasn't ready, so God raised up a new generation who was Now let's make sure we're all on the same page here. I said a new generation can lead us into a new place. Not has to, not as the only ones who can or should, but can lead us. This is not an anti-old person message. This is not an out with the old, in with the new. What this is, in my opinion, it's not a ploy to pit different generations against each other. It's a plea for different generations to lead one another. It's a plea for different generations to push one another. You see, God wants to use the older generation to lead his people. He wants to take their wisdom, experience, maturity. He wants to utilize the older generation's faithfulness to show us what a life in Christ looks like. But he also wants to use the next generation. He wants to use all the things that they bring to the table, their idealism, energy, passion, their fearlessness, and he wants to use them to show us what a life in Christ really looks like. The two generations absolutely need each other. And when one fails, the other both fail. Especially when the older generation fails the younger. When the older generation allows old ways of thinking, old habits, a negative critical spirit, pessimism, a desire to play it safe, a desire to limit God, when that happens, nothing happens. Actually, something will happen. God will raise up the next generation to take the place, to take the mantle. So let me say two things real fast. To my older crowd, we love you and we need you. We need you to push us. We need you to lead us. We need you to show us and teach us and help us to see God, to believe in his power, to believe in his promises, to believe in his provision. We need you to take the next generation to a new place. We need you to to push through boundaries. If if they're going to live passionately for Christ, you're going to have to show them what that looks like. You're going to have to show them what it takes. But young people, if us old fogies are refusing to do it, 
If us old fogies refuse to model a faith that you think Jesus wants, that Jesus is calling us, you have every right to call us out. And you have every right to push us further. You have every right to lead us. It's funny, in the first service when I said, to my older crowd, that's a little bit smaller sanctuary, and so we're talking, and no one wanna look, look, look at me in the eye. They're like, to, to my younger crowd, yes. You know where you are on that spectrum, but the fact of the matter is we need all of you. And here's the point to the older generation. If you tried before and failed to live courageously for Christ, try again. If 40 years ago you tried to share your faith and you were super excited about Christ in college or in high school and things have faded away and now it's kind of dead, try again. We need you to step up and lead us. And young people, you've seen Jesus, you've heard his voice, you know what he wants. Take us there. Push us, lead us. All right, so what does, what does any of this mean for you personally? Well, sometimes overcoming obstacles, entering into a better place, a more abundant life, means you don't blame others or wait for others to do it for you. See, a lot of us blame those who have gone before us. If only my parents would have blah, 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 blah. If only I would have had the opportunities, blah, 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 blah. If only this wouldn't have happened to me, blah. You, you look at, at, at what went before you and you blame it. You're not going to move anywhere if you do that. You've got to take the mantle yourself. You've got to lead it yourself. An older generation, don't, don't look at the younger one and, and criticize them. Oh, this young generation just doesn't get it. They're not super spiritual, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. Everybody, step up and lead. We need you all. Whether it's your faithfulness or your fearlessness, we need you to take us to a new place. And sometimes it's the younger generation that can do it. This story was really driven home to me a few weeks ago. I came across an article that talked about a grandfather who was just struggling against God his entire life. He didn't want to believe in Jesus. He never wanted to go to church with his kids. So one day, this grandpa is out fishing with his grandson. The grandson was four or five, and they're just out there having a great time, and all of a sudden, the grandson says, Grandpa, why don't you love Jesus? He loves you. The man gave his life to Christ in that minute. You see, sometimes the younger generation can lead us into a new place. A new generation can take us to a new place. So I'm not exactly sure what that means for you personally. Don't blame those who've gone before. Don't just sit there and criticize those who are coming up behind. Everybody, come together. Let's go somewhere new. Let's go somewhere better. All right, secondly, in order to have victory in faith, you're going to have to obey before you'll ever be able to overcome. If there's one major takeaway from this chapter, it's that the Lord places an absolute priority on your obedience to him. Page 89, obey everything I commanded. No real need for interpretation of that verse. Now, I'm not saying you have to obey before you will be loved. You're loved unconditionally. I'm not saying you have to obey before you can belong. You're welcome at the table no matter what happened. I'm not saying you have to obey before God will see you or bless you. God shows no favoritism and he loves and blesses sinners and saints alike. But this chapter makes it clear, you have to obey before you'll be able to overcome. He gives them some pretty interesting, some pretty cray-cray instructions, if you will. First, you've got to consecrate yourself and purify yourself before the battle even begins. Then I want you to march around the city with trumpets once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times, blow the horns, and shout out as loud as you can. Then after that, I want you to destroy every single thing in that city. Very specific instructions that they were supposed to obey in order to overcome. 
And what a message for us today, isn't it? See, many of us want God to show up in our lives. We want him to move in miraculous ways. We want him to open doors for us, take our past and turn it into something good. We want him to bless our future with new opportunities, a new relationship. We want good grades and healthy kids and a strong economy. We want God to do what we ask, but not many of us are willing to do what he's asked. And we have to obey before we'll overcome. Obedience is not a very popular word right now. It reeks of legalism, right, and, and joylessness and burden. A lot of people think that God's love and God's laws are on opposite ends of the spectrum. But if you remember back to our Sermon on the Ten Commandments, they're one and the same. One is the expression of the other. Being obedient and doing what God said, it's not legalistic. It's not trying to position yourself or prove yourself. It's trying to express yourself. Express your love for God. Joshua says the very thing at the end of, our, end of his life. It's our new uh, memorized one. It's Joshua uh, 22, 5. This one uh, is God's command to Joshua. And then Jesus himself says at the end of his life, anyone who loves me will obey my commands. Obedience is a lot like surfing. This is a picture of the ocean. The ocean is a large body of water on the coastline of the country. It's, it's beautiful. It's warm. It's warm. It's, um, I actually have a bunch of students from Pepperdine here today. Um, they take a spring break to the snow because they have eternal spring. Uh, we take spring breaks to like Florida and California. Anyway, uh, obedience. It's like surfing. Let me explain to you how that is. You can dream about riding a wave or feeling the thrill of the water propelling you forward. You can dream about that all day long. But until you actually get in the water, hop on the board, and paddle yourself out there, nothing's going to happen. See, surfers don't do all that they do on the front end to create the wave or to impress the wave or to manipulate the wave. They do what they do in order to position themselves for the wave. And the same is true with Christian obedience. Do you know why we do what God has asked us to do? One, because he asked. Two, because it positions us before him. Obedience is praying when you don't want to, reading when it's hard, showing up to church when it's freezing outside. Do you know why you obey? Because it positions you before God. It gets you out in the water, on the board, and ready for God to move. And in the middle of nowhere, out of nowhere, the wave will come and it'll snatch you up. But if you're on the beach, nothing's going to happen. If you haven't been obedient to get into the water, nothing's going to happen. I'll try to find the, an equally cool surfing illustration, Brett, for this. But for now, it's surfing. I say snowboarding. I don't know what I'm talking about now, but you get the idea. See, like the Israelites in chapter 7, God has asked each and every one of us to do certain things for him. And they're just as wild and crazy as, as marching around a city with trumpets and shouting He's asked us through the Ten Commandments, through the Sermon on the Mount, maybe Paul's teaching in the Old Testament. He's asked us to do some crazy things for him. He's asked us to love others, to look differently at others, to spend money on others, to think about women differently, to treat children with respect, to love and serve and honor the foreigners and aliens among us. He's asked us to be pretty crazy too. The question is, will we be obedient to those commands? Do our lives exemplify his law. That's the question. Are you waiting until marriage to live together and to be active sexually? 
Are you giving your time, your talent, and your treasure sacrificially to others? Are you honoring God by speaking truth in love? Are you seeking purity at any and all costs? Are you speaking well of, let alone serving your enemies? Are you extending mercy, seeking justice, walking humbly? The Lord has commanded you to obey. And you have to obey before you will ever be able to overcome. These are not suggestions. These are commands. And he expects us to obey. And in addition to scripture, God also asks us to obey through his spirit. Some people call these spirit promptings. They could be something as small as like that, hey, you should call your sister today. Like random thought in your head. Or you remember that guy Joey from high school? Yeah, look him up on Facebook and send him a message. Hey, go talk to Sally over in the cubicle next to you. Stop and help that gal who's stuck on the side of the road. You know those like shooting star thoughts you get every once in a while? I believe those are Holy Spirit promptings. What they are, they're a test of obedience. Will you do what God has asked you to do? Because when you obey, you will overcome. Now that prompting can be as simple as call your sister. You haven't talked to her in a couple weeks. Or it could be something as, as crazy as this burning passion in your heart. Like, I've got to go to Africa. I don't know why, but just Africa. Maybe I've got to adopt babies. I've got to start a ministry for women who are struggling with abortion. I've got to do all kinds of crazy things. Are you going to obey the Spirit? Because before you obey... You have to obey before you'll ever be able to overcome. That's what chapter 7 proves to us. So let's be as specific as we can here. Some of you need help overcoming an addiction, but that will probably never happen until you first obey God. Until you obey him by surrendering your life to him and confessing him publicly as Lord and Savior of your life. Some of you need to be freed from a broken past. It's broken relationally, it's broken sexually, it's broken emotionally. That will never happen until you obey God, until you confess the things that have been done to you and that you have done to others, and until you ask God to cleanse you from the inside out through baptism. You will not overcome until you first obey. Some of you need help overcoming a life that's relatively insignificant, a life that's filled with loneliness, a life that seems empty. That will never happen until you first seek the kingdom and seek to make his name great before you Seek to make your own name great. You'll never overcome until you first obey. We don't have to look far to see why chapter 7 is such an amazing chapter for God's people. They did everything as the Lord commanded. You don't read that a whole lot in the Bible. That doesn't happen a whole lot, but when it does, amazing things happen as well. I just love how this is perfectly embodied in Jesus. Jesus overcame, didn't he? He overcame everything. He overcame persecution, he overcame the pain of the cross, he overcame all the accusations, he overcame sin, death, hell, evil itself, he overcame all those things. But why, what happened first? Philippians 2, he was obedient to the point of death. You have to obey before you'll be able to overcome. The third key to our victory is this, conquerors are gonna have to be courageous. Look at Revelation 21, 6 with me. It says this. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will enter all of this. I will be their God. They will be my people. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all the liars, they'll be consigned to this fiery lake of burning sulfur. This will be the second death. Kind of a strange passage, but let me clarify it for you real fast. It reads and sounds and should remind us of chapter 7. It talks of a day of God's people moving from one place to another place, moving in victory into God's promises. And in that passage, God gives this laundry list of people who are not going to be able to be a part of it. 
And some of the things on that list make sense to us. The sexually immoral, those who worship other gods, the liars. Yeah, I get that. But did you see what was at the top of the list? The cowardly. The cowardly. Uh, on a list of sinful people, the cowardly is at the very top. You know those evil people. Those, those scaredy cats. <laughs> what? A scaredy? What are you talking about? Well, maybe courage or a lack thereof is actually at the root of all other sins. If you're unwilling to stand firm, stand up, and stand out, then you will give in, give up, and give out. You see, faith is not for the faint-hearted. And to follow Christ, you have to be courageous. Because you see, God has commanded us. He's commissioned us to do something crazy, to do something difficult for him. He's asked us to overcome things, to make advancements for the kingdom, to rise above. He's asked us to bring heaven to this earth. He's asked us to show a different way to live now as well as for all of eternity. And to do any of that, we're going to have to be strong and courageous. God has so much he wants to accomplish through you. He has you here in this place, on this earth, at this day and age for a reason. He wants to bring heaven to this earth through you. He wants to break Satan's stronghold through you. Yet none of that will happen if you're too afraid to do it. None of that will happen if you're too afraid to do any of it. Most of our lives, if we're honest, they're so full of things that we should have done, things that we could have done, things that we wish we would have done, yet we were too scared to do any of it. Maybe I'm just speaking about myself right now, but from sports to sacrifices to sharing my faith, I've chickened out more than I've risen to the occasion. And God says, I want you to be so victorious. I want you to live in this place of promise and abundant provision. But to get there, Thomas, you gotta step up. You gotta be courageous for me. Now let's make sure we're all on the same page here. Courage is doing something that you know is right. Doing something that God has asked you to do, even if and when it costs you. And I don't think you can follow Christ without it. You can't be a conqueror without it. You see, the cowardly, they cannot admit their mistakes and their need for help. Only a courageous Christ follower can do that. The cowardly cannot adopt unwanted babies and show them unconditional love. Only courageous Christ followers can do that. The cowardly cannot sacrifice their time or money for others, especially those society thinks are just being lazy. The courageous Christ follower can only do that. The cowardly cannot look at someone, let alone love someone, let alone serve someone that looks radically different from us. Only a courageous Christ follower can do that. You don't have to be perfect, Christian, but you gotta be courageous. You don't gotta be uber spiritual, Christian, but you gotta be courageous. You don't have to have it all figured out and have all the answers, Christian, but you've gotta be courageous. And courage takes on so many different forms, doesn't it? Courage looks like this for sure. This is a courageous Christ follower conquering the land. That might not look like it, but that's exactly what's happening. Or maybe courage looks something like this, serving the poor, sacrificing your life for others. It can look like living minimalistically or giving away all your stuff or your time to others, but it better look like something. And if you can't point to a, a place, uh, a time in your life, a situation right now where you're out of your comfort zone, where you're not sure how this is gonna work out, where you need God to show up, if you're not living that way, you're not living courageously. You gotta enter into a battle that's bigger than you. 
You gotta do something that pushes you way out of your comfort zone. And I want you to try it this week. Do something courageous for Christ this week. And then let's come together next week and just talk about how, how it went. Like, oh man, I failed miserably. I tried. I was like, ah, the wall fell on my head. I'm like, ah. But then others of you will say, it was amazing. The walls fell down. And I walked right in. Maybe it's talking to a friend. Maybe it's giving more of your money away. Maybe it's inviting someone to church. I don't know what it is, but I want you to live courageously. And if you're struggling to do that this week, then just pray, okay? Pray hard. And specifically pray 2 Timothy 1.7. Pray that God's spirit, spirit of power will come and replace your spirit of fear. All right, last but not least, we will move forward in our faith only when we walk by faith. A final takeaway from this chapter is that we'll move forward in our lives, we'll overcome obstacles, we'll overcome our enemies only when we walk by faith. Only when we commit to fighting this fight and facing our giants in and through faith. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says this, Though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Can you say chapter 7 of the story? I don't bring a sword or a machine gun to this fight. You know what I bring? I bring God's tabernacle. I bring the Bible and a trumpet and a skinny, bald preacher. <laughs> That's what I'm bringing to the fight. Yeah, run, run. <laughs> Our weapons, though, they're not of this world. We fight with a totally different set of weapons. One of those weapons is worship. One of the coolest parts of this story is every time God's people are trying to move forward, you know what goes first? The tabernacle, this, this, this Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant is this box that represents God's power that houses God's spirit. So every time they're crossing the river or entering into batter, battle, the, the preachers and the song leaders are leading the way carrying the Ark of the Covenant. It's not a military march, it's a worship service. That's one of the weapons we have to fight our battles. It's worship. See what we do here on Sunday morning what you do when you're working out or even in the shower, when you are singing a praise song, you know what you're doing? You are breaking down evil strongholds. You are breaking down barriers and walls that exist in your life. Worship has the ability to help you overcome an obstacle like nothing else has the ability to do. How's your worship life? That's a powerful weapon. Some of you aren't using it. Another one of our weapons is prayer. Later in the chapter, on the bottom of page 95, it says that the Israelites kind of had a little brain fart, excuse my language. Um, they forgot to inquire of the Lord, it says. They were doing so good, loving God and doing everything he commanded, and then on page 95, they kind of forgot to talk to him. And wouldn't you know, it didn't work out too well. Things kind of fell apart. I just, I love that passage. They did not inquire of the Lord. If I'm honest, that describes my life a lot. I'm one of those, ready, fire, Aim. Fire again. I just, I just jump into situations. I just do crazy things. I'm a problem solver, so I just want to get into it, and I don't ever inquire of the Lord. I don't ever ask him, what's your preference, man? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to move? Do you want me to jump? Do you want me to stop? Do you want me to go? Do you want me to stay? What do you want me to do? You have to inquire of the Lord. You have to pray. That's one of the weapons you have in this battle, and some of us aren't using that weapon at all. And maybe he won't answer your prayer. That, that means he's probably giving you the right. He's giving you the responsibility. Make the decision. Do what you want. But you better inquire of him first before you go off and do your own thing. So how's your prayer life? See, the Israelites marched around a city with brass instruments, some scrawny preachers, and some loud shouts. They didn't exactly fight their war with the weapons you would have expected them to. Yet it was those weapons that helped them win the battle. 
And the same is true for you. Whatever you're facing right now, whatever battle you're in, whatever obstacles are against you, whatever war you feel like you're in, you have been given a very different set of weapons to fight that battle. Worship and prayer at the top of the list. There's confession, sacrifice, the Bible, the church, there's so many things. But that's how you move forward, is through faith. This life can be hard. It can be filled with pain and loss and confusion. At times we can be beaten down and burdened. But the truth is you have been created to take hold of God's promises. You have been created to overcome anything and everything that's ripping life away from you. You have been created to be a conqueror. And I think this video and a pretty special demonstration from our dance ministry will hopefully prove that truth to you. Enjoy both.